0: And because of time and because of the potluck, I'm not going to read all verses 1 through 13 in Isaiah 55. I love all the verses. But it starts off with, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat, come and buy. See, God's given it away. But where we're going to concentrate on is my favorite verse, Isaiah 55, 11. It's also the Gideon's verse. So my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. If you actually read verse 12, it's where we get the song. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth in song. Isaiah 55 is a great, fantastic read. But you're all looking at me, and you're all looking at your clocks, and you're smelling the food, and I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to hit you with all barrels. Next week, we will be finishing up our sermon series on the armoring of God. But God said his word would not return empty. And what does that mean to us? And how can we know that that is true? To start our look into God's Holy Word, allow me to share to you today this story. In 1945, a newsman, Charles W. Hall, was attached to the American forces in Okinawa. American Legion magazine gave me this story. It's a great story. It's a true story. The war had just ended on a September 2nd, 1945. And the American forces had converted from war to a war police, you know, holding the countries together. Occupying, we might call it. And while they were there, this this war correspondent, his jeep driver, visited various communities on that island. And one of those villages was definitely different than all the others. Hall wrote he had seen the other Okinawan villages down on the heels and despairing. By contrast, this one shone like a diamond in a donkey. He wrote. Everywhere we were greeted by smiles and dignified bows, Pr- and proud people were proudly showing us things. The old men would show us their spotless homes and their terraced fields and the storehouses and their granaries and their prized. Sugar mill they had a sugar mill there. He said he saw no jails in this town, no drunkenness and divorce was an unknown in the village. This was so unlike what he'd experienced in Okinawa, Okinawa so far. the war had just ended and, and Okinawa had been ravaged and the people were in terrible shape. They'd been conquered. And so he began to ask around, trying to discover why this village was different than others. And he was told that an American missionary had come there 30-some years earlier. Come from Japan. He was in Japan. He went there, right? And, 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 And this missionary had led two elderly townsmen to Christ. And he left them with a Japanese Bible. One and only only Bible for the two of them. One and one only word of God in the hands of these two men. These new believers studied the scriptures and started leading their fellow villagers to Jesus. And the newsman's driver, his regular driver, was amazed at the difference between the villages and all the others around it, And he remarked, So this is what comes out of one and one only Bible in the hands of a couple old guys who wanted to be like Jesus. That is the power of God's word, our sword. Have you ever been in a conversation where the person you're talking to refers to God as the higher power? We all have. Normally, when we are in that conversation, when God is referred to as the higher power, that person we're talking to does not have a personal relationship with God. I nice said normally. They may have a lot of head knowledge, but they have not moved that knowledge from their head to their heart. And I said normally, but it's true normally. And when you have a personal relationship it is normal to refer to. It's not normal. With the, I'm hello, higher power. No, you refer. He becomes God. He becomes Father. He. It becomes intimate, not some higher thing. Sometimes we can, even us, we can always become flippant about how we talk about God, our heavenly Father. In our sharing and talking about God, we can sometimes come across is not giving him the awe and honor that he deserves. You know what I'm talking about? He almost becomes too familiar when we're trying to share him with an unsaved person. In place after place, though, of God's holy word, he brings us back to that awe point in our understanding of just who he is. God is actually our higher power. In Isaiah chapter 55, it says you got that right. That's exactly what I am. I am higher than you, not just my power, but my ways and my thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, it says. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. That's Isaiah fifty-five, eight and nine. So even God's word has power. My word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty, will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now just to prove a point. God does something fairly clever here. And we've talked about this before, like eight years ago. But for a little bit of review. And if you remember it from eight years ago, great. But some people here may never heard this before. And it's amazing information. I love using it on an unsaved person. Back in those days, many people worshipped the gods of Water and sky and fertility. If you look at most all the gods, that's what they were involved in, right? And because that's what they're involved in, because their God-controlled, they're what their little G-gods controlled, they could not understand, so they gave it to him, the power. You know, things just happened, the water, the rain. They didn't understand, so they gave God their The majority of pagan gods, if you study it, are involved in these three elements alone. But here in Isaiah chapter 55, God says, I will help you understand how some of the things in this world work. Isaiah 55.10, God revealed the principles of evaporation and the ecosystems and the earth's processes of conserving its resources that have puzzled people for centuries. He mixed in a little science. Now it says, "The rain and the snow come down from the heavens, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, bread for the eater." Isaac Newton in sixteen hundred came up with the law of conservation. And he said that energy, such as the water cycle, is conserved over time. You cannot destroy it. And neither can it be created or destroyed, but it can change in form, such as water, vapor, ice. That's 1600. Now, Antonio, Antonium, in the 1700s, Discussed the principles of evaporation in his landmark book the elements of chemistry and then roy chapman actually i like roy chapman but he really messed us up in roy Chapman, in 1930s he's the scientist who came up with the term ecosystem they never thought of an ecosystem before until 1930s and he showed the earth's capacity for recycling everything but everybody's couldn't. They've corrupted his theories. We'll just leave it at that. All three of these scientific principles were laid out in the single, single declaration of God in a cha- Isaiah chapter 55. They're all laid out there. The rain comes down from the, right, and the water's the ground, but it does not disappear, it is not destroyed, it is conserved. The water evaporates, goes back up into the atmosphere, comes down on the rain again, and the rain serves a purpose and a plant. A, causes the plants to grow. It's a vital part of our ecosystem. You see, no other ancient writing ever told mankind any of this sort. But God decided to throw a little science in there for us. That's because no other ancient writing is as scientifically accurate as the book you now hold in your hands. Even though the Bible not a book about science, it's very scientifically accurate. The Bible's actually loaded with science, and it's chock full of history. If you'll just look at it. But the question remains, why would God place this little bit of scientific gem about the evaporation system, the ecosystem, right here in the middle of this passage? in the middle of this passage saying how powerful his words are. Well, it's very, I have a simple mind. It's very simple to me. You see, it's so you and I can know and we can trust his word. When we read the words of scripture, we can believe them. We can read about God's promises. We can can count on them. He tells us how to live our lives and overcome tragedies and hardships. And we can have confidence when it says it'll work. It will work. Paul wrote to Timothy and assured him all scripture is God breathed. I like that you. All scripture, not just some, not just the ones you like, all scripture is God-breathed. And useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, that's 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 17. It's a great one to remember. Or write down. See, everything you need for life. Actually, it's in this book. This book here has everything you need for life. God tells you this more, in more than one place. In this book, that he has the power to change lives. The power to save people from the pit of hell. That's why the Gideons work so hard to put them out there. Then they steal them and they're happy. No everybody else in the world's happy when something's stolen except the Gideons. All the answers you could possibly need to know are right here in this book. They're right in front of you. All you need to do is read the book. And if you read the book, you'll know how to live a successful godly life. And that's just the way God intended it. In the book of 1 Samuel, we are told, 1 Samuel says, The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. That's 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21. And now in the book of Deuteronomy, God told Israel, not the nation, but the person, right? Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend from heaven to get it done and proclaim it so that we may obey it? It is not beyond the sea, he says. So you'll have to ask who will come from across the sea and proclaim it to us. No, my word is very near you. In your mouth. So your heart that you might obey. Now that's Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 through 14. Or 15, 14. We know who God is and what he wants through the Bible. The sword you hold in your hands has the power of life within it. It has the power of life. Isaiah 55, God declares, my word will, that goes out from my mouth will not return to me and people will accomplish what I desire. The purpose which I sent it. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, The word of God is a living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Now, let me be honest with you. I don't want to hit you with both barrels, but i got to be honest here. Not everybody believes that it is living and active. And sadly, there are so many so-called churches that teach that, that it's not true. I'm here to tell you, to attest to you, that the Bible does have power to change lives. It is a living and an active book able to transform others. It has the power and and it is powerful and life transforming, let's just be honest. It doesn't, you don't need a church or a preacher to give it power. The power already lies within its pages. That man who flew on the plane for six hours, he didn't have anybody there talking to him, they're all probably making fun of him. But it changed his life. As God declares, my word that goes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. I recently talked to a young lady that said the Bible was like all the other books, religious books. They're all filled with rules, and I, I admitted, yes. Every world religion has rules and expects us to follow us to obey. And these rules are often designed to make us better people. To help us live better. More satisfying lives. But Christianity is different than all these other religions. Because of one significant truth. You see, God, even... God knew that even a book filled with historical accuracies and scientific truth and helpful rules would never be enough to change our lives. Even a book filled with the power to reach in the lives and to convict us of sin and to tell us what we needed would not be able to change our lives. It would never be quite enough. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever been there where it's not enough? You're sitting there reading. Oh no, none of you have ever had anything go wrong, right? And you sit there and say, I can't figure that out. Anybody ever watched your husband try to fix something with instructions? Or do they go in the trash can? See, that's why the Bible was never about just rules or regulations all the way through the Old Testament, there was a constant drumbeat of statements and prophecies declaring that someday somebody would come and heal the brokenness of our lives. Now, as we get to closing here, I want you to notice the intriguing way God said what he said in Isaiah 55. hear, Hear it out. Hear it all out. Let's go a little slower. So my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose which I sent it. I've said that quite a few times. My word. Now notice, God didn't say my book. He didn't say my scroll. He didn't say my will or my way. God said, my word. Now that's interesting, at least for a preacher. Because the gospel of John begins with this statement. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. The life that is the light of men. Now that is John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 for all to read to this day. And then a few verses later in in the book of John, John makes a dramatic statement. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. That's John chapter 1 verse 14. The word that God sent was his son. The word was Jesus. And Jesus did not return empty. But he accomplished everything the father sent him to do. Now I explain that to a young lady, right? And as I explained, the one thing I told her that sets Christianity, apart from all the other world's religion, is that the Bible tells us that God stepped down out of heaven. He lived among us and taught and healed and prayed people. Then he died on a cross for our sins. And then he rose from the grave and he conquered death so that we would know that we no longer, death can hold us. Without that truth, we have nothing to offer. Without that truth, you have nothing to offer. We are a resurrection religion. The grave is empty. The tomb is empty. Without Jesus, our Bible would just be an empty book. Filled with rules and regulations like everybody else's. But because of Jesus, we have something that the world, nobody else can offer. We have the story of a God who so loved us deeply that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, next week, this week I'm going to be gone from Friday, Saturday, Monday to Friday. I got to go Whippetee, Idaho. I'm I do not know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's up in the Panhandle, right? And I've got to I'm going to go help a church in their books, and I got to stop by in Billings and help Rocks in their books. And so, if you need to reach me, please call me. Do not text me. You, I don't read texts when I'm driving. Okay? And there's a place in Whippetee, Idaho, that only half the town gets the cell phone service. So. On Wednesday, you got to text me, okay? Does that make sense? They don't get cell service. They're in the middle of a bowl. They still got snow on the mountains. That's just in the bulletin, I'm giving you a heads up. If you need to reach me, please call me, except on Wednesday, right? Try to help out other churches. Now, we need to close in prayer. We're going to pre-pray for the food. You're all invited downstairs. Then after you're done eating, we're going to meet up here for a really quick meeting. We do our yearly meeting. It's all exciting. It's I have some cartoons for you to read ahead of time. As usual, you'll have something. And, and a maze, a puzzle maze just for you to keep you busy if you get up here early. But there's way too much good food downstairs. So if you are don't take your time, enjoy it. Now, there is an offering plate out there for the Gideons, um, and they, they, you can do it on your credit card if you wish, or you can do it later. Ron and Brian, any, you know, and, or the friends of the Gideons, they'll be happy to help you. It's the only organization I know that 100%, every penny, goes to missions. And it places the sword, and it changes people at the worst life. Let's close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, your word. We thank you for the fellowship of believers. Now, humbly Father, we pray for those who are downstairs preparing this potluck dinner for us. Let them just feel our our warmth as we get excited to enjoy what they're prepared. Guide us and direct us, empower us to be your children. And all God's people said, Amen.